So welcome everybody. I am sitting here with Darren Connor DeAngelis, and I think I'm supposed to point that way on the screen. He is also known as DC, and if you don't know, he's a pretty big deal in jujitsu. So as a uh, as a purple belt, he was gi and no gi world champ, I believe. Uh, also won the pans uh, heavyweight, and he was the absolute champ in purple belt. Uh, then in 2019, he was the Rio Grande Slam champ at brown belt, and you're currently the number four rated middle heavyweight. Uh, brown belt in the world, is that right? I have no idea. I don't pay attention to any of it, to be honest. <laughs> All right. If you're not paying attention, just know that other people are for sure. That's good. <laughs> so a couple of things to know about DC that are kind of uh, interesting. So he's lived in his van for over the past year to really kind of focus on his training and you know become one of the best uh, jujitsu fighters in the world. And then he also has a, a new single leg X instructional uh, that's out on Jiu-Jitsu X. And that is actually one of my favorite garbs. And because my jujitsu is not very good, it's one of the only that I can actually do. So uh, so welcome. Thanks for coming on, DC. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's nice to meet you, Eric. And, and thank you for all the kind words. I, I don't think of myself like that, but I appreciate it, of course. <laughs> awesome. So I know you, you kind of recently made a, a move, right? You joined uh, American Legion Jiu-Jitsu with Keenan. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I moved from Atos, I believe. It's coming up on, I don't know, maybe five months now since I left Atos. It actually, was, it was during this kind of whole corona virus epidemic that I kind of started thinking more about my future. And then I really just felt like I had to make some sort of change to, to expand my knowledge in some way. So that's, that's why I kind of moved to Legion. We can get into that more if you want. Yeah, sure. So, you know, how, how is it going, you know, in the, the five months since you've been there? You know, I mean, it's been going great. I, I've been learning so much. And my, my kind of goal as to leaving Atos wasn't necessarily to learn more about jiu-jitsu. It was actually to learn about the other aspects of jiu-jitsu, like the business aspect, the marketing aspect. And I think Keenan is, in my opinion, the best marketer in jiu-jitsu. And he's very, very intellectual, very intelligent guy. And I really just try and learn as much from him, especially in that regards, and teaching as well. Yeah, for sure. So what's it like rolling with him? Are you like constantly tied up in lapels and <laughs> uh, rolling with him? It's, it's cool, man. I would say, I would say I, there's nobody like him that I've ever rolled with because of that, that kind of lapel style that he has. It's odd. Just the ability that he has to find a lapel out of nowhere. Basically I can almost pass his guard and then he'll like throw his foot into a lapel and completely restart the position entirely. I don't know if you've seen his match with Marilla Santana, but that is very, very common, the occurrences that happen in our roles. I'll, I'll get into a very, very strong position and he'll bridge me off and maybe find a lapel and then I'm back to square one. So it's it's probably, it's one of the most frustrating experiences you can have. Um, but it, but it's, always, it's always a learning experience every single time I learn a new little detail about how to deal with this style of lapel. And I've actually kind of figured out the lapel game. Uh, I can just tell you, but basically, in order to beat the lapel on top, just give the person single leg X, and they have to like start switching to using the single leg X. And Keenan's single leg X is actually much worse than his lapel game, so that's kind of the the answer that I found as of late, or before I got injured, actually. All right, perfect. So what, we all now know how to beat Keenan Cornelius when we roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a step back a little bit. How did you like initially get into jujitsu? Um, I started jiu-jitsu. My brother did Muay Thai at a gym nearby. I'm actually in South Carolina currently uh, recovering. 
and he was training jiu-jitsu at a gym nearby and I was playing soccer for say 10 years and I kind of was done with the whole coaching environment that that soccer brings about and just the coaches in general I'm not a fan of being coached I guess but anyway he was training jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai and I tried both of them just one class each and I felt Muay Thai was kind of like a, a workout I wasn't interested in working out I wanted to learn something cool and then I tried jiu-jitsu and there were so many different technical little details in every single position and I just thought like wow what a what an intricate and, and deep sport and I just felt like I'm just going to throw myself entirely into this now and that's exactly what I did. Yeah and if I remember right like you moved like when you were like after you graduated high school like from South Carolina to San Diego right? That's that's 100% correct yeah I, I after high school I kind of negotiated with my parents. I was like, come on, like give me a year to just not have to go to college. Uh, luckily, I'm very fortunate that I have amazing parents and they, they allowed me to do that. And um, so I, I, I went out to Atos for a year and I met with Dominique Bell, who's a good friend of mine. Um, he actually trained in South Carolina as well. He's a black belt at Atos now. Uh, and I lived with him for about three years and it was an amazing experience, you know, right off the bat. So, you know, you trained at Otto. So what's it like to roll with, like, Lucas Barbosa or Andre Galval? Oh, man. I, I actually felt quite good rolling with Andre Galval. Um, but Lucas Barbosa, the, the amount of strength that he possesses, it's, it's actually ridiculous. Um, I, I, did not, I did not enjoy it. Every single time maybe you get a good position on him or whatever it is, he'll explode out, and there's just no holding this, this monster that he is. And... I would say I would say definitely out of all the competitors there at Atos, out of all of the ones that you can think of, Lucas was definitely the most difficult uh, training session for me. Yeah, I, I can imagine rolling with them, and I don't want to at all. Like while yeah. it, while it'd be fun getting smashed the whole time doesn't seem like right. It's not fun, honestly. <laughs> so I I know you have kind of an interesting story of you know your living situation when you were yeah. living in, in San Diego and working out at Atos. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, about five years into training at Atos, uh, I realized that there's this like huge black hole in my life, which was like paying for rent, having to pay for rent. My parents were helping me, su supporting me pay for rent as well as Hyperfly as well. Um, so I just felt like I have to get this out of my life, get this rent problem out of my life. So I kind of talked to my parents and I had a little bit of money saved up. And they, they offered to pay for half if, if I were to buy a van and, and build it out with my dad and my brother and his, uh, our, 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 our carpenter friend. And um, so that's kind of what I did. I moved back for four months. I, we selected a van and in, in South Carolina, vans are much cheaper. And then we selected a van, we built it up and, and then I moved right back to Atos and I started living in the parking lot of Atos and it was it's a great ex it was a great experience I've learned so much I can go into that as well if you, if you wish yeah I mean I'm, it seems cool but I also have a, a wife and a five-year-old so I don't know yeah. so what's it like like what are some of the logistics of sure sure well I'll, I'll, like I'll start with like the pros and cons I guess you could say so the the big pros of living in the van is is for one it allows you to singularly focus on whatever it is that you're doing in life but that's kind of the con as well, it's kind of a double-edged sword and that allows you to completely singularly focus on one thing, but it, it kind of, it doesn't allow you to do much of anything else. Like it's hard to have a real job on the computer or, or do any sort of computer work, making videos, uh, making Instagram posts. These are all difficult things now that you're living in a van. Basically the only 
a huge plus is that jiu-jitsu is very easy. And then the other cons of that are, for one, sleeping on the road is not an easy thing to do. The, the vibrations uh, of the road, especially near Atos and even near Legion, uh, when I moved to Legion, uh, the vibrations kind of vibrate as, as your, or the road rather, vibrates as you're trying to sleep. And it's, it kind of really disturbs your sleep. So that's one of the main difficulties as well. And another difficulty would be cooking. Uh, cooking is not an easy thing to do in the van. It's a very tight space. And anything you do, oil splatters everywhere. It's just a big mess. So I, I mainly just ate at Chipotle every single day. And I mean, also, I have a girlfriend. She lives in Brazil. Um, that's actually why I speak Portuguese. But And we're actually going to have to move out of the van soon when she comes here. But that's another topic. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the van. It's, it's a great... Like I said, it's great for those who are singularly focused on one thing and already have their kind of uh, money-making career uh, ready to go or, or set up. Yeah, and so obviously you've kind of chosen jujitsu as your career, and that's you know the path you're gonna you're gonna go with going forward. What yes. if what are some of the key things that you've learned on this journey? I've learned that you cannot singularly focus on jiu-jitsu <laughs> if you want to make money. It's what I've learned. I learned that, yes, like becoming very, very good at jiu-jitsu is useful. And I, I started jiu-jitsu a little bit late. I started at 16. Um, so some people had maybe a head start in regards to starting at 12 or, or 10 or whatever it is. But I've noticed that if you want to, to actually make money in the sport, for one, you have to be able to speak well. And it, this is especially hard for Brazilians who are, who are coming into the United States because there's no money in teaching really in Brazil, unfortunately. But so they have to, they have to, and I have to as well, I have to learn how to speak well and, and present the techniques and positions uh, in an easy to understand way, which is a really difficult skill. Like teaching is not an easy skill. And then you have to learn how to market yourself and how to, how to, how to actually how to actually make somebody click whatever it is that you're, you're, you're broadcasting. Cause that's not easy to do as well. So, I mean, there's these other skills that I never really thought of and, and writing is a skill that I'm working on currently knowing how to write and copyright and all these different kind of sales writing and everything like this. I'm, I'm currently really diving into these different fields and I wish I had kind of known about that. This is important. You should do this like earlier. But I mean, I was so focused on jiu-jitsu and, and that's that. So, I mean, the main, the main takeaway from that is, is diversify a little bit. Of course, jiu-jitsu can be your main focus, but you should be a little bit diversified. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as I was, you know, kind of going through all of your accomplishments, you're, you, you've done a lot in jiu-jitsu. Um, who are some of the guys that you look up to uh, in the jiu-jitsu world? Sure. Um, oh, I appreciate that you think I've done a lot. I, I still don't feel like I've done very much, but um, I would say... Without a doubt, the, the person that I've modeled most of my game after or, or thought that their game was the coolest thing ever was Marilla Santana, who I actually just met him not so long ago at, at Fight to Win, uh, like my title match. Uh, I met him there, which was really cool. And another another competitor that I've kind of modeled myself, Leandro Lowe, everybody kind of models themselves a little bit after Leandro Lowe. Um, in the very beginning stage at Blue Belt, I thought Lapel was cool. So I, I did actually like study some Keenan Cornelius and then I moved on from that. I said, no, that's some garbage. I don't want to do that. And then uh, I, I would say, and then also Dominique Bell, uh, I, I studied and, and modeled my game a lot after him just because he was a huge influence on me in regards to, to life in general and, and jiu-jitsu as well. 
Nice. All right. And so, you know, as far as your training goes, like when your knee isn't hurt, yeah. <laughs> you know, how often are you, are you rolling? Uh, that's a good question. I actually think I was a little bit too extreme and I'm having to, uh, I'm thinking that the way I was, my routine was not sustainable, but my routine was basically this, uh, Monday through Saturday, I would train every single morning at 12 o'clock and not all the trains on Saturday, the training wasn't very hard, but Monday through Friday, that, that 12 o'clock training is kind of like a comp training. And then Monday through Friday as well at, I would say 11 AM, I would say I would drill for one hour with whoever I could find. So I would drill just the techniques that I wanted to work on, uh, whether that be passing, sweeping, takedowns, whatever it is for one hour. And then um, at night, I would, depending upon the day, so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would lift at uh, Electrum Performance, which is this shirt here, which is a, a gym nearby in San Diego, who are just incredible strength and conditioning coaches. They actually have an app as well. Uh, but I would lift there. And, and then on Tuesday and Thursday, I would teach one of those days, I would believe I would teach on Tuesday night and then roll lightly. And then Thursday would be my night off. And then, yes, and then Friday night, yeah, is, there we go. Okay, perfect, that's it. So a lot, is it? Yeah, too, too much, honestly. And that's, that's actually the reason why I got hurt. I knew that I, I showed up to Thursday morning, 12 a.m. training, I, I, or actually I drilled first. I showed up to training, I told myself like, Connor, like, you're pretty tired today, man. You need to, you need to rest, you need to, just go with the light guys. Don't, don't, don't let the ego kind of mess with you too much today. You know, don't, don't let somebody entice you into rolling a hard round, you know, just, just go light. If you have to lose, lose. And a hard, tough guy asked me to roll. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to smash you now. <laughs> you know, like I let that ego kind of enter in and I got kind of pushed back as I was rolling and, and, just a tear right right there in the meniscus and I scooted off the mat it was locked up and I knew that was the last time I trained jiu-jitsu like four months ago well you know at least it's good to know it. it happens to you know some of the best guys in the world too where all of us we say like I'm just gonna roll light today and that never happened like you do that for one round and then the very next guy it's 100% trying to kill each other exactly it's 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 really hard I feel like it's almost harder to not roll hard at least for, for different athletes. Some people are different, of course, everyone is different. Um, but at least for me, it's hard not to roll hard. And that kind of, it, it well, it got me injured. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, you have to have some sort of balance in, in all things, really. And so you mentioned you, you tore your meniscus. What does the rehab look like for you? Well, because I tore it and they didn't just shave it off, it wasn't just a straight meniscectomy, I believe it's called. It was a, a meniscus reconstruction, so they actually took the torn meniscus and they sutured it back up and put it, put it back together because supposedly it was in the, the red zone, which means there was possible blood supply to the area. So maybe it's possibly going to heal. Um, so it looks like about three months and I'm about, I'm nearly two months in. And so I have uh, maybe one more month before I can start getting back on the mat, but I've been lifting and swimming and, and doing other physical ex exercise. All right. You know, when you're getting ready for uh, a big tournament, whether it's the Worlds or Pans or Fight to Win, something like that, you know, what does your training look like? Does it change 
much from day to day or because you're going so hard, it's pretty much the same? That's a good question. I would say it doesn't change very much, although the the way I enter the training changes. My goals in the training change. For example, when I'm not, when I don't have a, a competition that I'm preparing for, my goal in training is to constantly add new pieces to the puzzle that I'm creating, this jiu-jitsu game, this jiu-jitsu style that I, that I like and I think is cool. I'm constantly adding little, little details to, to each position and each problem that I'm encountering in the training. Whereas when it's time to compete in these big tournaments, I kind of forget about so much about adding new things and adding little new additions to my puzzle. And I just like solidify the puzzle. I just try and try and make that puzzle as strong as possible by just trying to kill everyone basically with the, with the strongest game that I have. Yeah. And do you find that like tournament to tournament, your, your style or your game plan changes or is it, is it pretty mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm going to go with this. I would say it's pretty consistent, but um, as normally, like, say, for example, in like an off-season kind of situation, or by off-season, I mean there aren't any, like, main major tournaments going on. Um, I would say in that kind of scenario, like I said, I'm, I'm adding these new pieces to the puzzle. So when I have a tournament in those off-season times, say, like a fight to win or, or just a random open, I'll use those opens as a way to test these new techniques that I'm working in the room, right? And then, and then, so I guess my game does change a little bit in regards to these just smaller opens, but when it comes to the bigger tournaments, I'm just gonna use my A game, and if A game doesn't work, I'm gonna use B and then C, but it's always gonna kind of go from like a, a hierarchy kind of system. Like it's gonna go A, B, C, and then, and then just go crazy, you know? <laughs> it, it, it's just, give everything that I have rather than thinking so much more instinctual uh, rather than thinking wise. So you said like random open. So you, do you just do like, you'll just like show up at like a Naga tournament or something like that? Oh, uh, I mean, I would, I mean, normally I don't, I, there aren't too many Nagas in, in California, but I, I mean, by random open, I mean just like a random IBGF open in Houston or Dallas or wherever, you know. Do you ever like show up on the mat and the guy across from you looks and goes, oh shit, like this is the guy that I'm rolling with? Um, I've had some funny experiences and it always makes me feel like, oh, this is easy. Uh, <laughs> like sometimes somebody will in the bullpen, they'll come up to me and be like, oh man, I saw your videos and yada yada, it's cool, you know, and then I kind of just like know that I'm going to beat that guy and move on to the next one. So, I mean, there are times like that, but I, I definitely try to respect everyone as much as possible. I would definitely suggest if you're, if you're ever, whoever's listening, you're going to compete against me. Don't, don't say that you've seen my stuff because then I know I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I did, as you were talking, I was kind of picturing, I don't know if you've seen that video where like John Jones is in a Nogi tournament. And like, uh, you, so I, I think it's a Naga tournament. It, the guy like shows up and like he's literally grappling with John Jones and you can just see his face. Are you fucking kidding me? Like I can't <laughs> I'm sure, man. I can't imagine that either. Yeah, I think uh, Gordon Ryan did the same thing a couple of years ago too. Like, like I, I get it. Like you need to practice, but also like, come on, dude. Like it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Give the guys a chance. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this: you, you mentioned you eat Chipotle every day, right? When you're living in the van. What does your diet look like when you're getting ready for, like, again, a pans, a world, something like that? 
Well, it kind of depends. I, I kind of look at my, my weight and see where I'm at. Uh, I compete in the middle heavyweight division, so that's 195 with the gi on. So if I'm a little bit heavy, I'll cut down on some of the rice that I eat at Chipotle or cut down on some of the tortillas. But really, like, uh, I don't really have the opportunity to cook very much my own food, like a, healthy, a healthier diet, even though, I mean, I feel like the meat quality of everything these days is pretty much the same. Um, but basically, I just, I just start limiting my portions slightly. Uh, for example, say I, eat, um, say I eat a bowl of like three scoops of rice at Chipotle, I'll cut it down to one scoop of rice, you know, just to start losing that weight incrementally, say three weeks out from a tournament. And then I, I, depending upon how much weight I need to cut, I will cook in the van and I would just cook eggs and, and, and a meat and a small carb, uh, but normally it's Chipotle year round. <laughs> What do, what do you do as far as like recovery or mobility, those kinds of things? Obviously, when you can, when you can actually bend your knee. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? I don't do enough of those type of things. I don't do enough recovery work. I mean, I do. I have these yogi toes. Like my toes, for some reason, always get messed up in training. Um, so they're, they're just basically toe spacers. So just imagine your toes are like this and you put a gel spacer in between them. So that's one of my main recovery things that I do in the van. I just like throw those in and put some Netflix on and then chill. Um, but in regards to recovery, I don't do any sort of massage work. I don't do any sort of uh, real physical therapy. I think my main recovery is lifting. I, I try and lift 100% correct all the time, very technically. I try to be as technically perfect as, as possible in both jiu-jitsu and lifting. And I think that normally keeps me away from any sort of injury or any sort of like cranks in the neck or anything like this. So that's kind of what I use for preemptive, uh, preemptive recovery. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I get where you're going with that. So in your, you know, kind of strength and conditioning work, what does it look like? Is it like powerlifting? Is it CrossFit? Is it like jujitsu focused, like created by the Electrum guys? What does it look like? Sure. I would say it's, it's mainly powerlifting style uh, workouts. Um, I mean, I could show you one here if you wish. Yeah, sure. Let's see what I got here. And for those of you listening at home, he's pulling it up on his phone. Those yeah. Guys. So, for example, like this is, you guys can't see very well, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll run it off for you real quick. So, for example, uh, it's, it's always an, a full body exercise each time. Okay, I don't do like bodybuilding style. I don't do back one day and legs another day. It's full body. So for example, in this workout, I would have a dumbbell incline press and then that's, that would be for chest. Then I would do a barbell pin lay row, which is for back. And then a dumbbell Arnold press for shoulders. And then I would add in some sort of uh, some leg exercise, whether that be uh, a barbell squat. Just I try and really hit the full body each time because I'm only lifting three times a week. And normally the set ranges are between three to four sets and the rep range is either between six to 12. I normally don't go above those rep ranges nor below them. Okay. And are you doing anything like conditioning wise? And I kind of put that in air quotes, whether it's running or swimming or something like that. Sure. Uh, just recently, because I've been injured, I've been really getting into swimming. But before that, very little conditioning other than just more jujitsu. Uh, but I think in the future, due to wanting to kind of prevent more injury, I will add in maybe a swimming because it's very uh, low impact on the body. 
and it's good for conditioning as well. Um, or they, we have this uh, Aerodyne bike at Electrum. Have you heard of those? Is it kind of like the Echo bike, like the, the assault bike? Yes, exactly. Assault bike, that's what it's called. Um, exactly. That, that seems to be really good as well to really push those, uh, those high tempo cardio style workout sessions. Yeah, those things are brutal. Like, it, like you see a workout, and you're like, oh, so it's 20 seconds and then 10 seconds off. Like, oh, that's not going to yeah. be too bad. And by the second 20 second, you're, you feel like you're going to throw up and you want to fall. It, it, it's ridiculous how, how effective it is. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we talked about your nutrition a little bit. We talked about your training. Do you use any kind of supplements, whether it's you know, creatine or protein powder or those kinds of things? Sure. I, I do use creatine, especially as of late. Um, I try to use creatine. Basically what I do is, and it's not necessarily correct, but I use creatine up until a tournament. And normally I'm a little bit heavy due to the water retention from the creatine. And then I have to start cutting it down a little bit before a tournament. Um, but in regards to protein, I use whey protein uh, from myprotein.com. It's really good. It's really cheap as well. And I'm not sponsored by them or anything. It's just really good protein. Um, and I use that pretty much every single day uh, for breakfast. I didn't mention my diet too much, but for breakfast, I have uh, Greek yogurt with no sugar or anything like that. And I just dump like two scoops of protein in it, mix it up, throw some granola and just eat that. So like basically in break for breakfast, I'm getting about 70 grams of protein, which is huge, uh, especially for building muscle. Um, and and th those are basically the main two supplements that I use other than some multivitamins, but that's about it. How many calories do you consume a day when you're training as much as you're training? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not really sure. I would say, I mean, at Chipotle, I, I imagine both, uh, it depends on the day, but normally it's Chipotle for lunch and dinner. And, and what I do is, is kind of ridiculous. I, for one, I, I ask for two tortillas on the side. So, so we go through, I ask for a bowl. I don't know if You've been to Chipotle, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So I asked for a bowl and then I asked for two tortillas on the side. And then not only that, I asked for two hard shell tacos on the side as well. So then now I have all these things on the side, which are supposedly free, you know, they're, they're complimentary. Yeah. And then I just start going into the bowl. Like I do three scoops of rice, three scoops of black beans, chicken, guac, and uh, cheese. And then basically I just have all this and fajitas as well to get some veggies, right? <laughs> and then I have all this. And I have all this and then I create two burritos and then I crumple up the chips and then I throw those in the burritos and now I have two burritos and that's one lunch. So, I mean, that, that sounds like maybe 4,000 calories. I don't know. It sounds like a lot. That is like, I think a, like a, a normal burrito is somewhere between like 700 to 1200, right? Calories, yeah. how low did you make it? So, all right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, you know, when you're, let's say it's fight day, right? And again, whether it's Worlds, fight to win, whatever it is. Sure. You're, what does your routine look like? Let's say you're fighting at like one, two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what time do you wake up and then hydration, food, if any, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, well, because I have the van, um, I, I kind of drive to the venue and I park in a nearby neighborhood and I like shut off all the lights. I sleep there and I wake up. Well, I try and sleep as much as possible, but you know how the nerves are sometimes. Um, but I wake up normal, say eight o'clock, 8.30. And I, I try not to get to the venue until say 
an hour and a half before because all that noise and, and just people, it's not my thing. I'm kind of an introvert as well. Um, so I try and show up an hour and a half before and, and, and then I just put some music on, normally very calming music. I never like to really hype myself up in any way, shape or form. I like to just be calm all the time. I like to just be, you know, very mellow the whole time. And, and that's, that's pretty much the main, the main setup. As of late though, at least at my recent, or not too recent, but my fight to win match that I had recently, um, I started, I, I would say eight months ago, I started getting really big into meditation. So I've been like kind of meditating before matches as well. And um, that seems to be extremely beneficial because it really takes you out of this nervous, stressful reality of I'm about to fight some other human being. And it completely takes you out of that and you focus on your breath or you focus on the little white dots or little, you know, the black when you close your eyes. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's really peaceful when you put some music on, some noise canceling headphones and you're completely out of that reality. And that I feel like is, is really amazing for, for, for trying to get the most performance out of your, out of your, your match. So you, know, you mentioned that you're a pretty even calm guy generally, and you even try to be even more calm going into like a big fight or a big tournament. Do you still get those like first fight jitters where like as soon as you lock up, like you, like your hands get all tense and and you're like your heart's pounding out of your chest, or have you kind of worked through that? Um, I, I really, really focus on on breathing a lot. I, I, especially when I'm about to slap the guy's hands, I really like right when I slap the guy's hands, I move back and I take a super deep breath just to like completely calm myself once again and even close my eyes. And then I'll like go into the fight, but I still do get the, the forearm kind of burning sometimes depending upon the match, really the, the match that I prefer to have is I prefer to fight another strategical competitor. Cause I feel like if the person wants to think with me and try and outthink me, I'm going to beat them. You know, that's what I feel like at least. And I feel like my, my game, my overall strategy is, is very high level and much higher level than my, my instinctual jiu-jitsu. I feel like there's two different forms of jiu-jitsu. There's thinking jiu-jitsu and there's instinctual jiu-jitsu. And I definitely side with the thinking jiu-jitsu. I prefer to have a slower match in which everyone's kind of just exchanging grips and trying to do everything technically rather than this match of just explosion, scrambliness, and all right chaos. That's why I actually don't really like nogi very much is because I'm not a fan of the chaos. I prefer the the control of this of this thinking side of jiu-jitsu. And that's that's why I feel like I win the majority of my matches because I, I outthink the person and I, I have a better game plan and I have a way better system that I've created than that other person. So I know for, for most of us when we had our first matches like a white belt, right? We we went crazy and we probably yeah. threw up when we got off the mats and that kind of stuff. Did you have a similar kind of experience your first competition? Um, I would say my very first competition, I actually, the very first match I ever had in jiu-jitsu, I put the guy to sleep, which was kind of a cool little starter, I guess. Um, but no, it, it's funny. I, I think I competed for the first time, say, four months into jiu-jitsu, maybe three. And I remember I was so big into Barambolos at White Belt. I don't know why. I thought Barambolos were the, it was that Barambolo phase, I guess. I thought Barambolos were the coolest thing. But basically I would, I would like Barambolo somebody and end up in mount. And I would like, I did, I completely forgot how to choke. 
I basically just like grabbed the guy's collar and just started pressing my forearm into him, completely losing all sense of, of technical, you know, choking maneuvers. And it, it was, it was crazy. So I definitely did have that kind of like, uh, just crazy wild, uh, first tournament, just like most everyone I bet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, 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 most people can, can definitely relate to that. And I think like for me, like I competed last weekend and oh, nice. Like I, I try not to do that. Right. It, it still sort of happens. Like I, I, it's like the first, the first 30 seconds of the match, I still have all of that crazy energy. And then finally I can like, you know, all right, now I have to pretend like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say the first match of every tournament is unfortunately like that. Even, even, I mean, even for me, but like for me as well, you know, like it, after that first match, you finally feel like you're kind of in the zone or you're, you're, you're completely calm just because of you're, when you're about to fight someone, you're, you're having ex extreme adrenaline spikes and your body and mind just like doesn't handle that adrenaline very well. It's like that fight or flight kind of concept. It's just like kill or be killed. And you're just like, I'm gonna kill. And then everything goes up, you know? So it's, it's a hard thing to troll, but, uh, control, but after, after that first match, everything seems to calm down. I'm sure the same or similar for you as well, right? Yeah, it, like I said, it, after the first like 30 seconds-ish, then I like actually remember techniques and what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I know what you mean. You know, you mentioned you're a pretty strategic guy and you prefer to be kind of technical and think through your next move or your next two or three moves. What yeah. are your favorite positions or, or guards that you really enjoy? Sure. Um, I would say my favorite position in all jiu-jitsu is, is the Delahiva pant grip. I mean, that's that's all I need to start setting up all my different attacks, either the Delahiva pant grip, so I mean, you could say the Delahiva position, or just a cross collar grip. Now, both of these, both of, both of these kind of controls, like set me up for my entire system that I've created for myself um, into entering into the X guard position, which is about, which is what my course is about. I just created a course on Jiu-Jitsu X, like you said before, which basically just goes into all my different entries and sweeps from the single X position that I've been developing for the past eight years of my jiu-jitsu career and it it basically goes through like not entirely my entire game plan but like 70 percent of my game plan is right there in this course it's pretty cool yeah and so as i said before right single leg x is one of my favorite positions and one of the only i can actually do so yeah. i know from single leg x like i know how to take the back and i know how to get a heel hook right <laughs> other than that what are some of the things that what are some of the other kind of setups that you can, or, or next steps you can go once you get the single leg X? Sure. Well, I, I mainly practice in the Gi. So I, and to be honest with you, this is kind of an interesting uh, idea as well. Um, I've kind of chosen the path of not focusing on submissions for say, 70% of my jiu-jitsu career has, I don't focus on submissions at all. Like 90%, like I would say, in, especially in tournament, I don't go for submission unless I'm truly dominating my opponent. I 100% focus on controlling before any sort of submission attack. So in the single exposition, I basically am just looking for various off balances, um, different kind of tilt sweeps in order to start entering into these different come up or, or stand up style variations of attack where you have the 
opponent's leg on your on your either bicep or shoulder. You kick them away and you lift their leg as you stand up and then take them down, kind of like a wrestling uh, situation. So that's kind of my my game plan or what I like to do in the single exposition. Nice. Any other you know positions that you're creating instructionals for that are coming out soon? Yeah, I'm actually doing a complete uh, course on my passing style. I have a very pressure-based passing style that I've kind of molded for myself from just like seeing other competitors like Marilla Santana. Um, and I, I've kind of molded this this kind of, it's, it's not necessarily an over-under style passing position, but it's actually an over-over. It, it has a similar concept as to the over-under, but you're actually over both your opponent's legs and you're kind of on their hips, and then you, you're able to really maneuver their legs back and forth very easily and enter into these different side smash or folding style positions, uh, which are my favorite uh, position to pass from in jiu-jitsu because I just feel like it's so ridiculously technical and I love the leg work behind it as well. So that's the next course. Awesome. So, you know, what does the future hold for you? Because I know you're a pretty young guy. You're like 22, 23, something like that. I just turned 24 uh, not too long ago. Um, I mean, the future at the moment is at least due to this injury, it's to improve all these other skills in my life, whether that be uh, writing, uh, sales writing, uh, Photoshop, video making, all these skills are, are in the making uh, so that I can further broadcast my teaching ability. And then I also hope to improve my teaching ability much more and really start entering to really start entering into the, the teaching aspect of jiu-jitsu, the online teaching aspect. And hopefully if all that goes well, I won't have to do the classic brick and mortar uh, gym creation. Uh, I hope that I'll be able to, to make a, a living just off of jiu-jitsu teaching. So that's kind of currently the goal. Um, and then also of course, um, on the back burner, which unfortunately has to be put on the back burner just because of injuries and, and the need of money uh, is that kind of Black Belt World Championship at IBGF? That's kind of on the back burner now. Whereas before this injury, it was it was in the number one position. Um, so that's kind of my my future. Nice. And you know, where you mentioned that you're kind of creating like a an online an online course, and you have a lot more coming out. Yes. People connect with you, find your stuff, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, on on YouTube, I'm I'm really trying to grow my YouTube. I, I'm trying to post twice every single week. I, I have this series on YouTube that's called Understanding Jiu-Jitsu, Understanding Jiu-Jitsu. And basically in this series, I, I look at these high level matches in which I used to study all the time and take details from like Marilla Santana and, and Lucas Lepre. And I go into these matches and I kind of do like a deep dive into these matches. And I use a, a nice little pointer tool and different uh, drawings to, to help people understand what's happening in Jiu-Jitsu. Because unfortunately, like for the white to even sometimes early brown, people don't watch jiu-jitsu because they just don't like understand all the amazing things that are happening every single second of the match. Like there's always something happening, but if you don't understand it, it's not fun to watch, you know? So that's kind of, that's, that's something that I'm working on currently that you guys can find out on my YouTube. And then um, on Instagram, I'm constantly posting uh, little mini techniques of like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, and directing people to the full technique, which is on my YouTube as well. And just the future right now is create more courses on Jiu-Jitsu X and then create my own website uh, with my own courses so I can kind of get all the profits so I can actually make a living. <laughs>
All right. So you, you mentioned your Instagram. What is it? Is it at DC? It's at DC underscore DeAngelis. Um, and then my YouTube, you can just type in DCD Jiu-Jitsu or Darren Connor DeAngelis and you'll find it there. Um, and then I'm also very active on Reddit as well. Reddit seems to be a big population on uh, of Jiu-Jitsu. I would highly suggest posting this interview on Reddit. Maybe it's, it's really amazing platform for anyone and you don't need to have a high following or anything in order to get your posts seen. So uh, you can find me on Reddit at dcdangelis.com. Uh, not, not, not .com, sorry, dcdangelis is, is the Reddit tag. And uh, that's, that's about it. All right, and for those of you uh, at home, I'll spell out dangelis for you because I know yeah. sometimes it's hard to figure out. So it's D-E-A-N-G-E-L-I-S, right? Perfect. All right, yeah. And then the DC is Darren Connor, so DC underscore D Andrews. Perfect. Awesome. So, you know, check it out on Instagram. You got a YouTube channel, more Jiu Jitsu X uh, stuff coming up, and future Black Belt World Champ, right? Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, are you going just Gi or are you going to go Gi and no Gi Black Belt? Uh, just Gi for now, especially because they added in heel hooks. I'm going to have to go back and study how to do those. <laughs> that's, that's in the future for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, DC, uh, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice to meet you as well. And I wish you the best with, with this podcast and all your future endeavors. You too. Thank you, DC.